0: Good morning to you all. How are you? The teens are going to class. Thank you, teens. Well, welcome this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to welcome you to the Shoreline Church. We've been uh, doing some great Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. And I hope you've been encouraged by that church. Just learning about the Scriptures, learning about what we can apply to our lives and, uh, you know, a few, a few months ago, I was in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. They call it the ABQ over there. And uh, we, went to sit, we went there on vacation on a road trip in the summer. You know, maybe a winter trip would, would have been better, but went there in the summer. And uh, we were invited to, to uh, speak at the Albuquerque Church. And we, we got to see uh, James Flores' parents there. Yeah. Oh. Now, they've been to our church when they come out to visit. And I got to visit his mom and his dad. And uh, last Sunday, uh, Patricia Flores, James's mother, was baptized as, as a disciple into Christ. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So James, we all envy you. You're the envy of the church now. Um, I'm not sure if I can see the screen, but we are studying the Bible today. Uh, I wonder if I can just pull this back a little bit. Maybe I can... Uh, there we go. This is better? Let's adjust that. adjusting that. Nice. Maybe I can do this. Nice. Cal Poly Pomona. <laughs> Education. I went to college. That's what I learned. Um, you know, if you've been with us, we, we're, we're kind of going through the book of Luke, and we've covered a couple of important things to note. Was one is that the writer of, of the Gospel, Luke, who was carried along by the Holy Spirit, was really addressing an audience who felt like the small minority, the outsiders, the, you know, the raiders, so to speak, you know, uh, on the outside, just not really involved in the mainstream. And, uh, you know, Luke compares an emperor, the Augustus. Uh, to Jesus's birth, and he's kind of trying to make a comparison of which king will decide to, to really uh, follow. And, and and last week, we, we, uh, we saw that Anna in the Bible and Simeon, two older, faithful people who are waiting for the Messiah, and we talked about how it, it's required of us to stay the faithful course to the end, to not give in, not give up on our relationship with God. Now, in, in Luke chapter 3, we're introduced to a new emperor. His name is Tiberius. And Tiberius was the stepson of Augustus by force. He, he really didn't want to be, but he became, because what Augustus was trying to do was, he was trying to line up emperors in his family, or that people that he brought into his family, so we can have a succession of emperors for the empire. Um, along the way, Tiberius and Augustus had a falling out. And uh, so, t- uh, so Augustus focused on his two male sons to be the emperor, but they died in battle and they could not be the emperor. And so Tiberius was brought back from exile to Rome to be the emperor after Augustus. And Jesus was born and had his ministry in the, in the time of Augustus and also in the time of Tiberius. And he was an interesting fellow. He died in 37 AD. And what the emperors discovered what Augustus understood to be true was that a ruler cult, I mean, a worshipping of the emperor, it centralized and it stabilized the empire. Now, what what they also found was that it became very popular because people were worshipping gods who they had no knowledge of, they didn't really see or could touch. But in this situation, making an emperor a god, they would have literally God among men. And that's exactly what the comparison is. Here's an emperor who's God among men, and then here is Jesus who is God among men, living and breathing. Now, of course, the emperors did this to combat treason for anyone who desired their power. And the Jewish nation, they were continued to worship in rituals. They were deadening their faith in the Roman Empire. People were drifting from God. Following God became just a, just a physical ritual that you would do over and over and over again. And it really messed them up. It really turned them upside down. Rituals. You know, I grew up in a church that what we did was rituals. You sing, you pray this prayer. You want this, you do this. It was all a ritual. And I lost my faith in the process. You know, an Irish man, a Mexican, and a blonde guy were doing construction on a scaffolding about 20 floors on a building, and they stopped to eat lunch. The Irishman, corned beef and cabbage? If I get corned beef and cabbage one more time for lunch, I'm going to jump off this building. The Mexican opened his mouth and exclaimed, Burritos otra vez? (laughs) If I get a burrito one more time, I'm going to jump off too. The blonde opened his lunch and said, Bologna again? If I get a bologna sandwich one more time, I'm jumping too. The next day, the Irishman opens his lunch box to see his corned beef and cabbage and then jumps to his death. The Mexican opens his lunch and sees a burrito and jumps to his death. The blonde opens his lunch, seeing the, the bologna, he jumps to his death. At the funeral, the Irishman's wife is weeping. She says, if, if I'd only knew re- no, he was really tired... Of corned beef and cabbage, I would have never given it to him again. Then the Mexican's wife was also weeping. I did not realize he hated burritos so much. And everyone turned and stared at the blonde man's wife. Hey, don't look at me. He made his own lunch. You know, when you're involved in ritual after ritual, it just turns you upside down. It just really messes you up. We cannot become Christians or a church of Christians that is based on rituals. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. We're introduced here earlier in the Gospels to Jesus' birth, uh, John the Baptist's birth, and right here in the beginning of Luke 3, we, we tend to focus on our John's ministry. John the baptizer. John the immerser. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trichonitis, and uh, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priests of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Son of Zechariah in the desert. You know, we have a Caesar, a governor, Tetrarch, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, the high priest, Caiaphas, and Annas. But the word of God came to none of them. The word of the Lord came to John. He was filled with the Holy Spirit even when he was in the womb. And he received the word from God to go and to preach. You know, the word of the Lord has come to us as well. It's right here. Some of you are holding it. It has come. The very words. And John was commissioned to go and prepare the way for the Messiah. We've been called to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And He'll be with us always to the very end of the age. You know, I appreciate David's communion this morning, I appreciate the fact that he has decided to go and make disciples again of all nations. How have you been doing with the word of the Lord that has been, been brought to you? How have you been doing in this area? You know, we're doing Bible talks in church now. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, awesome. And it really challenges you to get, go out and share your faith and make disciples. Yeah. That's what it's designed to do. Yeah. To have a plan. But where are you? Better yet, who are you? Great question. Who are you? Are you bold? Or are you afraid? If so, who are you afraid of? Jesus says, don't be afraid of this guy. Be afraid of the one who throws the soul into hell. Be afraid of that person. This guy can't do nothing but say no to you. And some say, well, people aren't open. I say this, people are as open as your mouth. People are as open as your mouth. You know how we prejudge and calculate someone who's not open? By the look on their face, oh, he's definitely not open. Oh, he's open. He's open. We calculate. We do that. We have the same Holy Spirit that John the Baptist has. You've been chosen to go and restore God's people to God. You've been chosen. Look in verse 3. So here we have Luke's telling the story. He goes, you know, John went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the Isaiah the prophet, a voice of the one calling in the deserts, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, and every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. You know this same phrase is found in Isaiah and also in Malachi. Prepare the way for the Lord. You know, remember, it's been about 400 years since people actually heard God speak through a prophet. And John was in the desert. He wasn't in Ventura County. He was in the desert, the wilderness. He was the epitome of the the outsider. What he had going for him was the word of God came to him. That's what he had going for him. You know other passages. He, he, he wore camel's hair clothing. Amen. Locusts with wild honey. Yep. That's what he lived like. But what is John doing out in the wilderness? What is he doing out there? Well, he's preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. You know, back in Luke chapter 1, If we can turn the slide. There it is. There, 116. It says this. You know, many of the people of Israel, He will bring back to to the Lord their God. And He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know... The angel Gabriel came down to his mother, his mother and father. I did not know this, but Gabriel, his, his name literally means war angel. I always thought he was the messenger. I'm just here to deliver the message. He, he came down as a war angel. An angel that's familiar with combat. No, One soldier, one man who's familiar with combat is prophesying another... We'll have to combat the, sp- the, the spiritual forces of darkness. One to another. Look at the words he focuses on. To bring back. The word turn. To turn their hearts. To turn someone around. To turn the direction. This is the meaning of the word repentance. To turn around. A direction of life and the affections of your heart. So that you become oriented on God and love the things that God loves to turn. You know, John promised the people forgiveness of sins in response to their repentance. They're turning to God. And he demonstrates this by telling them and preaching this. And they respond by saying, baptize us. So he was called the immerser. He didn't sprinkle water on their forehead. He didn't say come here and let me pour some water. He immersed you, full immersion. That's what it was. But what John was doing was doing something that was done in the temple, and John's doing it in the desert of Judea. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be done inside the temple. Here's John outside the temple doing it out there because the word of the Lord came to him. Mm -hmm. Because the word of God is not about rituals. It's about repentance. It's about change. And what's incredible is that John is telling his Jewish kinsmen that you have to get baptized. Now, to understand the context here, John, in his time, Jewish men don't get baptized. The Gentiles get baptized to become Jewish. He's telling the Jewish guy, you have to repent and get baptized. Just like they do. So this baptism was offensive. They were offended by John saying, how dare you tell me that I have to get baptized? That's for the Gentiles, not for us. This baptism implied that unless the Jews were willing to repent, they weren't really Jews at all. And they couldn't count on the promised blessings of God. To put it another way, in calling the Jews to be baptized in in repentance for the forgiveness of sins, John was telling them they could not rely on their Jewishness for salvation. They cannot rely on that anymore. They had to change their hearts. If you want to get out of the ritual, you have to change your hearts toward God. And John says that their Jewishness is not a guarantee of salvation. Amen. Nor is being a Gentile a hindrance to be receiving salvation. God says to both. What matters, John says, is repentance to turn. You know, what's interesting, in, in the book of Luke, he, he's the only one of the Gospels that includes verses 5 and 6, where it says, all of mankind we'll see salvation. Because remember who Luke is talking to. He's talking to everybody. All the Gentiles. You guys are included. Look over in verse 7 now. So John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. These are people that wanted to come out and to be baptized. And he says to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that has not produced good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist was radical. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been going to church for 18 years. And I've seen my shares of, shares of welcomes. I've seen good welcomes. Tony, I was a good one today. A good welcome, and I've seen some bad welcomes. I have never seen a welcome like this. Welcome to church, you brood of vipers. <laughs> who warned you from the coming wrath? Welcome to the shoreline, Church of Christ. Oh my God. I've never seen a welcome like that before. Wow, great point. And here is John welcoming these guys who came to be baptized. <laughs> who are you? John's a radical guy. Yeah. You know, when I when I was studying this out, and I did a Bible study with this guy at, at college at Channel Islands, it changed how I how I did the study. How I did how did the Word of God study from? Do you understand the Bibles from God? Amen. Check. <laughs> you know, it was not, not the prophets, but the Holy Spirit carried him. Amen. You know, you gotta put the God. Go, it's living and active. No. It was. Do you understand what you're hearing here? What? I mean it was I I was Full of conviction, versus the usual. I'm just giving you information, so you might have some conviction. Amen. And that's how the, the guy was getting full of conviction too. He was like, yeah, "This is awesome." You know, when I asked him instead of the Bible, he was like, well, "What's your church doctrine?" I said, "We're not the kind of Christians who sleep with their girlfriends and then come to church on Sunday and act like everything's okay. That's our doctrine." That was when I first met. I was first thing he said, "What's your doctrine?" That's our doctrine. He was like, If you want to still study the Bible?" He's like, "Okay." <laughs> just studying the scriptures, it just gave me more of just conviction that I didn't have before. Amen. I was trying to be. I, I just want you to come to church. I just want you, please, please be my visitor. Please, please come to Bible <laughs> Talk. Jesus doesn't want churchgoers. They don't want you just to come to church. It's not, you know, we come to church because we're just... But that's not why we follow Jesus, just to come be churchgoers. Come on, G. And fill out an information card saying, I'm a member. <laughs> yeah, come on, Gio. It's not what he called us to be, guys. He bluntly tells them, you brood of vipers. What does that mean? Well, if you're schooled in the Old Testament and you were Jewish, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is the snake. Satan is the viper. So John says that he's calling them sons of the devil. You brood of vipers. And that's exactly what Jesus tells the Jewish guys. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You know, John's first words were an indictment to his listeners. You're in Satan's grip. You know, whenever you go to the mall, a mall you're unfamiliar with. Oh. Your, your, your wife dragged you there, right? You're going with your wife. And it's a struggle that you're even there because you want, you want to go home and just do something else. But you go anyway. So you want to, you want to be expedient in the process. Yes. How can we go in and out, knowing that's not reality, but you're hoping, right? That's right? You're hoping. When you come to the mall that you're unfamiliar with, she's like, I want to go to the store. But you don't have the first clue where the store is at. So what do we as men do? We want, we want facts. We want data. We want input. We go to that big triangular thing. It's called the directory. And we're looking for one, we're looking for one little sign that has three words. We're looking for the sign that's in yellow or red that says, You are here. Yes. And from that point on, I know where the restrooms are. I know where the stores are. I know everything. You are here. And John says to them, You are in Satan's grip. That's what he says. That's how he starts off. You're in the grip of Satan. You know, he also warns them, secondly, he warns them that the wrath is on the way. God's wrath. God's judgment will become upon, or come upon, Satan and his allies. You know, in Luke chapter 3, verse 17, it says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He says wrath is coming. Thirdly, he says, there's an escape from wrath. You can flee from it. You can get away from it. Because when God forgives sin, it's the same as God removing his wrath. Because God must punish sin. That's why they were there. And he asked this question, Who warned you? Who warned you from the coming wrath? Now, two things can be there. They either were there to spy on John and check out his ministry. You know, sometimes you get that. I'm, 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 I want to get baptized, but I'm here to check you out. What are you about? Or maybe they were really offering themselves up to be baptized. But John says this, even if you're sneaky at church, if you come for the wrong reasons, God says this, John says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John warns them. And John warns us. Produce fruit. Being Jewish was no guarantee. Being a baptized disciple is not a guarantee. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says this to the Jews who had believed him. If you hold to my teaching, yeah. if you hold to it, then you're really my disciples. Yeah. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to grow tomatoes in my backyard. Mm. <laughs> it's not going so good. I'm fighting the worm. I can't find on the leaf. I can't find that little guy. He's eating all my tomatoes. I got to pay attention. I got to go out there every day to find that little guy because the little moth brings him, drops the eggs, and he's there. I don't know what it is. I'm fighting the worm. I'm fighting my dog who's chewing the leaves. And, 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 the, and the tomato plant is dying. And the little tomato just dropped into the mud. Where all the dogs go to the restroom and at least to the mud. So I was like, I'd eat it, but Karen would, well, Karen would kill me if I brought that in the house. So I, I leave it there. Struggling. That sometimes is kind of how our life is like. There's a sinful nature eating at our leaves. There's the elements of external forces, like a dog or like somebody else, hurting our hurting our walk with God, or letting it hurt our walk with God. And we're not producing fruit. He says to produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Fruit means that we are trees. And there's fruit on a good tree, right? When there's genuine repentance. He tells them in verse 8 of Luke, Luke 3 John tells the Jewish men that they better not start thinking to yourself, Abraham is our father. We can rely on our ancestry. Here's a Jewish man having to admit that he needs to get baptized just like a Gentile. You know, when a Gentile reads the Gospel of Luke, He sees that God is for real. God is calling all men, all women, all Jews, all barbarians, all slaves, to be one in Jesus. God wasn't messing around. They were called to the same standard. What these Jews had forgotten was that God has the freedom to choose to give mercy on who he chooses to give mercy on. They knew that. You know, we can forget too. Thinking we have a guaranteed ticket to heaven just by being a member of the church. Come on, Gio. That's our Abraham. I came to church on Sunday. I'm a church goer. I'm a son of Abraham. There's no guarantee. Amen. There's none. What matters is your Repentance. Your change, producing fruit in keeping with your repentance. We don't just repent once, it's a lifelong repentance. Amen. Repentance. You know, for our, our comfort and our assurance, God allows us to produce fruit. We open our mouth and invite someone to a Bible talk or church. Guess what happens? I've been looking for a church. I've been it's been amazing. You know, the campus ministry is, is at their annual campus retreat this weekend, except for a couple of them who are here. But it's amazing when they, they say, gee, we had like you know, like eight, nine people came to Bible Talk. Because what they do is they just repent and share their faith, and then God allows them to produce fruits. Amen. It's an Amen. awesome thing. Amen. It's a great thing. You know, repentance is the altering of what we, what we rely on in life. What we hope in, what we are counting on for the salvation in the age to come. It's the repentance that leads to the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 3 it says, why do we repent well, as a faithful Christian? Because it brings times of refreshness. We're set straight again. We're realigned. And here is John the Baptist out in the desert Of Judea in the wilderness away from the rituals away from the deadening of the faith of all who are going to the temple the Word of God came to him the Word of God has come to you what are you doing with it what are you doing with the word that has come to your life it's the same message I'm not going to call you a brood of vipers, but I'll call you this. You are the people that can repent. If you're studying the Bible, it's your repentance that leads to the baptisms that forgives your sins. If you're a disciple, it's repentance that forgives your sins continually. It keeps going. One by one. We do it. John the Baptist, he's just preparing the way for Jesus. And man, was he radical. Amen. Man, was he pretty intense sometimes. And let me encourage you. You can be radical. It's, not a, bad, it's not a bad word in church. Amen. I know it was overused in the past, but you know what? It's actually a pretty good word. Yes. Sure you know, we can, we can get all prideful. I don't want to be radical. That's what John was. John was radical. John was a prophet. Anna was radical. Remember Anna last week? 84 years old. Didn't remarry. When it, benefited, it should have benefited her to get remarried, and she didn't. Radical. Simeon, radical. Being Christians for, you know, 50, 60 years, that's radical. It's awesome. Let's become that people. Thank you. Thank you.